right, hello everybody. Uh, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. And I can tell you, over the last two years, as we've done more and more work in organizations uh, from small nonprofits to the U.S. government to Fortune 50 companies, there's definitely something that I have seen. There is such a uh, huge need right now to understand how to collaborate better, to how to be a little more strategic, how to work with all the different people in our organizations. Because really, at the end of the day, Right? Every one of us out there who's in business, there's a reason that we're in business. We have a mission. There's something we're trying to accomplish. And we want to accomplish, and, and I truly believe that business is one of the greatest forces for doing good in the world, for solving the problems. We cannot wait for the government to do it. That is not what we've been mandated to do by God, in my opinion. And so guess what we have to do? We have to not only get better at being a leader, but we have to be really get some skills on actually how to bring leadership into a very, in some of the complex environments that we operate on. So uh, I got introduced to Liz uh, Nilsson. Liz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. And we had some great conversations and just a little background because um, of what we're going to be talking about today. Liz, she has her MBA. She's the program director for the Agile Strategy Lab and Purdue. She lives out in Baltimore. And she's also done a lot of work around STEM and different initiatives. And uh, But she's on an incredible team. And they've just come out with a book called Strategic Doing. And here's what I'd like to do, Liz, uh, because there's so much kind of rich content here. And let's start with this. Because one of the things you guys say in this book is that, you know, with everything that's changed in the world, we really need a, a whole new approach to really uh, leadership and strategy. First of all, you know, what is the logic that you guys have that's kind of behind stating that? What's changed? So I think most of us in our professional lives have experience with strategy in a particular context, and that's strategic planning. Uh, many of us have been on a lot of those groups, and many of us have had the experience of spending a lot of hours doing really good strategic thinking, but at the end of the day or the end of the couple of months or the end of the year, what we have is a plan that never quite gets us to implementation. And I think there's several reasons for that, but one of the biggest is that strategic planning actually came out of the military, where there was a very structured, hierarchical way of doing things, and that's just not what most of us live in anymore. Uh, even if we are in an organization that looks pretty hierarchical, usually we have to interact with you know, other units besides our own or clients or customers. Some kind of context in which you know, we can't call the shots. There is no one person who can call the shots. And so when that fundamental change has happened, I think you know, the tools that we have had for a long time, like strategic plan, just they're great tools, but they just are not suited for the context in which most of us operate these days. Well, yeah, and uh, you know, a company that I was at that, I, and I thought we did this really well. The executive team would do an offsite, Liz, for three days every year. Yeah, and we'd go through everything personally. We'd go through our departments. We'd go through uh, what our big goals are, what the big rocks, the mission. You know, reconnect, and we'd come out with there with these amazing plans. And we would even get together once a month and compare notes. Now, here's the problem: is I was in one department, you're in another department, and we have all the demands of the day. So. At the end of the year, how much progress do you think we really made on some of these initiatives that if we had done them all, man, we would have taken that company, it would have been like a rocket ship. 
But what happens is you get out of that environment where you're doing some planning and everybody's putting their best thinking. This is say everybody's completely present, best thinking, but you get back to work on Monday morning and all of a sudden reality, you're back living in reality. And that is yeah, that I, yeah. got four, I got 50 hours of work that I'm trying to shove into 40 so I can go home and see my family. Yeah, I mean, it really doesn't have anything to do with good intentions or, you know, good people. It's not about that at all. Usually there's a lot of good intention, a lot of good uh, strategic thinking that went into it. So it's not that. Um, and But, you know, like you referenced, I mean, I don't know what portion of your plan got done. I'm going to guess uh, 15%, but I don't know the answer. Uh, that's you can tell that's me. probably in the bottom. I think that's <laughs> in the bottom. We might have had a couple 20% years. Yeah, sure. Yeah. One out of five. I think one out of five sounds honestly fair. And honestly, getting those one out of five done for us, we had double digit growth every single year. We had very low turnover of our employees. Uh, we were growing, but I know we could have done more, but th- it was hard. Yeah. Now, and I know now that's also a healthy environment because this also applies when I'm working in some organizations, I got to tell you the relationships and the level of trust both between, let's say, you know, people maybe with your manager or with your peers or across departments, maybe you're on what some people know as a tiger team or a cross-functional team and I'm in logistics and Liz, you're in operations and somebody else is in sales. We're not communicating well. You're doing something that's impacting my job. I don't really have the skills or the tools to give you the feedback that you need. I have no authority over you. I can't go tell my boss and your bosses might not have a good, I mean, so there's a whole spectrum in organizations from, you know, healthy and easier to work with to unhealthy. And my suspicion is most organizations as they get bigger tend to be unhealthy. I don't want to overgeneralize, but I think from my personal observation, that's what been my experience. I think that's true. I think it's harder to maintain health in an organization as they get bigger. There's just more relationships to manage. I think that's true in any in any setting we're in. So I think we need, we need tools to help us do that and keep things, if they started out healthy, to keep them healthy. And if they are not healthy, to figure out how to turn those around so you can get to impact. Because I think it's really hard to get to impact on a strategic plan or much of anything else, actually, if there isn't a, at least a decent amount of trust among team members. Yes, I agree. Now, when you guys talk about a new approach, what's the new approach, Liz? So the new approach is really... Uh, based on very quick cycles of uh, coming together, identifying some strategic outcomes, starting to do something together rather than just talking about what we might be able to do, and then coming back together frequently to check in and say, what are we learning? What should we do next? But most of us are not used to working on that kind of a fast uh, fast cycle. It comes actually from uh, Agile software design. So Ed Morrison, who's the director of our lab, is the uh, kind of the brains behind strategic doing. And it really was birth. He was on a plane and he was sitting next to someone who was in agile software design who said, you know, you really need to pay attention to this because this is, this is really going to change the way, not just software. Works, so people that aren't familiar with that, could you explain a little bit more sure. about what, so, you know, just uh, in our audience, Liz, we have a lot of business owners, people running yeah. teams. So let's just kind of bring this down to like, uh, let's make this really practical for folks. Sure. And I want to apologize right now for anyone who's listening who is in software design who's going to say that's not really the way it works. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay, because right, you know, so. we love when we take things and make them gooder. Right, exactly. So we borrow, right. but we, we're not duplicative. So the idea is really to put together a team of people 
in agile, sometimes they call that a scrum. Yep. Uh, so the idea is that team is closely working together and identify what's the next thing that has to happen, the next few things that need to happen. Uh, and then let's quickly identify what each person on the team is going to do. Let's identify when we're going to get together next and have learning and then adjust if we need to adjust and then figure out what's the next set of things we need to do. That's kind of at the kernel of uh, agile and it's at the kernel of strategic doing. And who do you believe should really be taking this approach? Where does this kind of fit the best? So we've seen it in lots of different settings. Um, it started in economic development just because that's where Ed, our director, started with it. But we've seen it in lots of other settings. So we certainly see it in lots of companies who you know, have the same issue with having done lots of strategic planning but having a hard time getting to implementation. We see it in nonprofit organizations a lot. That's my background. Even in higher education, you know, we're within higher education, and it took a long time for other people in the university to say, oh, you know, this is a tool that we, we don't just teach, but we can actually use it on ourselves. So I think almost anyone who works with people that they don't have direct authority over can use it. We also use it with students a lot, uh, and even all the way down to high school students. Now, talk about this. Let's say that I'm on a team, and I'm on one of these Tiger teams, and I'm working with peers in my organization or even people from other organizations, what I have seen awesome or uh, often that where really kind of productivity falls apart mm -hmm. is being able to create accountability mm -hmm. ac across peers. How does this help with that? So I think does it really comes back. To, yes, it does. I think it really comes back to that question of trust. Mm -hmm. And the way we define trust, there's lots of ways you could define it probably, but the way we define it or the way we test for it is that trust is when you say you're going to do something and you do it. And I say, I'm going to do something and I do it. So I think developing the kind of trust within a group where everyone has that expectation of one another, that then, and making sure that the commitments people are making aren't so big that they're going to fail, that that allows trust to grow over time. Because really... I mean, you don't want accountability because someone's got the stick, right? You want accountability because people are in a group working together and they want to do what needs to get done. And that involves building trust. So think about this. Even if you're in a team right now that's not operating well, here's something we do when we come in, Liz, that I think people could probably do right now is, is just even, you know, just have one person just step up um, and kind of, you know, take a leadership role and say, hey, I want to reconnect everybody to why we're here and what the outcome is, what this is going to do for the organization or customer or the cause that we're passionate about. And I have people sit down and say, hey, and, you know, in doing that, right, maybe, you know, we're having some challenges with how we're communicating. When we're all together as a team, why don't we just answer this simple question? And that is, hey, how do we want to treat each other? Yeah. You know what? You can't come in with a document and say, here's how we're going to treat each other because you need to create ownership and buy-in, especially if you're working across, you know, different generations that are in the room because everybody needs to be heard yeah. and validated. And then we put all the words up and we don't have to define all the words because they have different meanings for everybody. And then once everybody does that, the second thing that we do, uh, and this comes from transformational leadership, um, my good friend Ford uh, Taylor is to ask the second question. And that is if somebody does violate this, right? Let's say you yeah. think I'm being disrespectful, right? What is a process that does not have dependent events that we're all going to agree on that we're going to follow? 
because now I actually create something. If I'm not comfortable, maybe giving feedback, but now I have something in place and I could go to you and say, Hey Liz, remember we did that. Can I share something with you? But anyway, I think just like you talked about, you know, the fact, you know, identify with the group, the importance of the work that we need to build trust to have this done. And then once you've done that, then it's so much easier to introduce maybe some tools, some processes to help the team do that. And what I've also always feel like is, you know what, if I'm helping a team or individuals to get better doing this kind of work, I'm going to leave the organization better off. So, I, you know, there's just some good things about this anyway. Yeah, you know, we have kind of our default, what we call the one rule of civility, which is we will treat one another in ways that build trust and mutual respect. And that's kind of our default if the group doesn't already have a set of uh, norms or whatever you want to call it to, to treat each other. Um, but I, I think it's really important that that get established you know, right up front and people understand that. Uh, and it helps people feel safe to have the kinds of conversations they need to have, particularly if they're working on a really complex issue. Yeah, I agree. Now, I was, uh, you know, you guys, or Ed, who founded this, came out of working for the government, working in some of the most probably frustrating environments ever when you're actually trying to get <laughs> stuff done. But, you know, before we dig that. into some of the questions <laughs> and rules, can you share a little bit about how this process that we're about to talk about was developed and came together and tested? Because sure. it's very effective. I'm actually really excited about this. And I, this is one book that I definitely would recommend called Strategic Doing for people out there in business who really want to kind of change how things are happening, where you're at to get things done. But how sure. did it all come about? So Ed started in government, but I have to say he got really frustrated and left. <laughs> So uh, I get, I get that. that that we completely all understand, right? So he uh, was a management consultant and uh, was hired by the Oklahoma City Chamber of Commerce. And when he went, this was in a previous kind of oil, you know, depression or whatever you want to call it. And downtown was empty. This was in the early '90s. Uh, downtown was empty. There just wasn't anything going on. Chamber of Commerce was meeting in this you know, very dark cement room in a parking garage. And so he went in to work with that group and they said, you know, we've got to do something. And he, at that point, just kind of decided to throw out the rule book of strategic planning and said, let's try something. You know, you've got a really serious situation here and I don't think any of the regular rules are, are really going to do it. So let's try this new thing where we, you know, come together every 30 days, we identify what needs to happen next, we learn from each other and then we adjust and then move forward. And that really was the beginning of kind of the Oklahoma City Renaissance. In 1995, they had to take a few years break because the bombing happened and they had mm-hmm. much more uh, critical things to worry about. But if you go to Oklahoma City today, it is an amazing, thriving place. So that was really the start. And then from there, he went to uh, Charleston and worked with uh, someone who wanted to create kind of a high-tech sector in Charleston, what's now called the uh, Charleston Digital Corridor. And then you know, did some other work uh, in uh, Kentucky and in Shreveport, Louisiana. And at that point, said to himself, you know, this really works, but I can't do all this work by myself. I don't want to do all this work by myself. So how do we teach this set of tools to other people? And at that point he came to university to say, you know, universities are all about teaching. So can I set up shop here and help other people learn to do this? And that was at Purdue? Yeah. Where you make boilers? Yes. 
<laughs> Anybody out there that doesn't understand the reference, the, yes, name the Boilermakers of University is the Boilermakers. So, yes. Uh, yes. friends of mine from Purdue, that's always a running joke. So, yes. but that's awesome. So, basically, you know, it came out of a need, right? Like, hey, how do we yeah. adapt some things? You know, and here's something, and you know what? And we even used to do this, right? You know, everybody loves what Stephen Covey says, right? Begin with the end of mind and strategic planning often focuses on two primary questions, right? Where are we going, right? So we sit here and we talk about what, you know, what we're creating, what it looks like, how do we measure it, and how we're going to get there. And as you uh, and your team looked at those two questions, you realized that those two questions are actually not actionable enough. There's a lot of vague language in that. And you know what? When you start actually with I think such broad guidelines, what I've seen is the language, even in the plans that come out of that process with the team, I think it's why we got, you know, best case 20% done. Yeah, um, It's not actionable because we don't really, when we're all there doing some of this work, you're a bit removed from the realities of what's going on in the organization. Some of the structural weaknesses, such as either trust or communication or, you know, the quality of our leadership, or how we're onboarding. I mean, there's a lot of pieces that actually need to be in place to facilitate some of these outcomes. So I know you guys found that those two questions were too simple. So where did you go from there? So we break those two questions into four questions. The first question, where are we going? The two questions we break that into are, what could we do? So what is, what is the set of all the possibilities, what we could do? And then what should we do? Because we can't do everything. So let's pick out the kind of the, the one place to start. What's the one place where we should put our effort for right now? That's not to say we're not going to come back to other possibilities as we move forward, but where's the place where we're going to start? So those two questions, what could we do? What should we do? Are they, where are we going? And that second question, how are we going to get there? We also break that into two questions. So we've done what could we do? What should we do? So the next question is what will we do? So we've identified, and this is, I think, where implementation often falls apart, is we know what we should do, but we haven't actually made commitments to each other about what we're going to do. So that's a really critical piece of the process. It's also, I have to say, a piece that when we do workshops, this is the piece at which people get scared. And we even have people walk out because they say, well, I knew I was coming to a meeting, but I didn't know you were actually going to have me do something. You know, it's amazing to me. <laughs> I would tell them, you know, it's called strategic doing. Maybe we're going to do something. <laughs> you know, we have to make commitments to each other about what we're actually going to do, right? And then the last question is, we say, what's our 30-30? But what that's shorthand for is, when are we going to get back together, usually in 30 days, talk about what we did, and most importantly, talk about what we learned, adjust our strategy if we need to, and figure out what we're going to do for the next so that's the last question. And it kind of loops back then because, you know, depending on what you learn, you may actually need to go all the way back to, gosh, we didn't think the environment was what we thought it was. Let's talk about what we could do now that we understand it better. All right. So what would that look like if I'm working with my team? Could you walk me through kind of how you would help a team or what you've seen as you answer some of these questions? What are some things that worked and what are some of the either, um, circumstances or maybe what people were bringing into the meeting their self, right? Their personalities, their attitudes that are some things that had to be overcome at each of these areas to make it succeed. Does that make sense? Sure. So the first thing of what we talked about earlier is, you know, establishing a baseline of how are we going to treat each other in this conversation? And we 
use the word conversation a lot because we really think that strategy happens in conversations. It's just that our conversations have to be intentional in a certain way. But talking about how are we going to treat each other in this conversation? So that's the first thing. But then the second thing is figuring out, you know, how do we sort of bound this conversation? You know, often strategy conversations can be, you know, really wide ranging. And somehow you have to figure out how to constrain the conversation at least a little bit uh, so that you can get somewhere. And we do that with what we call a framing question. So that's really just a question that says, you know, imagine if our future looks like this and let's, let's keep our focus to that. You know, we can talk about all kinds of other things, but for this conversation, we're going to talk about this one thing. And then with that in mind, with those, that kind of that trust level and a question, then you can start on, well, what could we do? What could we do to answer that question? You know, what resources do we have? And then you're kind of off to the races to, to start working through those four questions. But it's really important, I think, to, to, to constrain the conversation at least a little bit, because otherwise it can just go in, you know, a hundred different directions. But yeah. it could also, you know, an easy uh, constraint could be a time frame. Like, hey, if we all, yeah. if we were all getting to back together here as a team at the end of the year, the closeout of the year, we're halfway through the year about right now, you know, what would make us all just be high-fiving, celebrating, exactly. right? Totally excited about coming back into work after the new year break. Right. That would be a great framing question. Yeah, yeah. so I, you know, time frames can be really good. They can be project based. They can be, I mean, people out there know their environment. But I love what you said, Liz. But you need to pick something that actually, you know, puts a little bit of you know some guardrails on the conversation so people don't go off into. Uh, I have to be careful about that too with my clients because when you start, you know, imagine the possibility and people start going into you know I won the lottery type. <laughs> dreams and goals. Well, that's awesome. That is fun to talk about, but that is nothing you and I are going to be able to work on at all in the next six to 12 months. So, okay. Yeah, so that's the other way we constrain it. And when you said, you know, what, sometimes what happens that kind of gets it off the rails, here's one thing that often gets it off the rails is sort of if only language, you know, if only we had more money. Ah, uh, these self handicapping statements. Yes. You know, if only we had, you know, certain kind of you know expertise in our organization you know there's lots of if only's for nonprofits is if only we got that grant that we didn't get right, right. Uh, so we say you know forget what you don't have talk about what you do have because every organization every gathering of people in a community there are always lots of resources to work with even though it feels like there aren't but that mindset really keeps us from actually moving forward well, you know, I was just watching Apollo 13. I was just down at Johnson Space Center in Houston and went actually to Mission Control. So when we got home, we watched Apollo 13. And, you know, I love Carol My uh, Dweck's book on mindset, fixed and growth mindset. But as soon as they were given a problem, all these, some of the most brilliant engineers in the world said, uh, you know, you got to make, fit this square peg in the round hole to save the uh, astronauts from carbon dioxide. The yeah. entire reaction in the room was like, well, we can't do that. It's not made to do that, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, one of the guys you know, there, Gene Cern, came down and said, I don't care. Figure it out. This is what you have. <laughs> yeah, right. So either, you know, you figure it out and they live and you, or you don't and they die. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> bringing it down to our world, I think that mindset, though, that bringing a limiting belief of mindset in is very toxic yeah. because what it does, it completely destroys creativity. We don't have enough money. We could have if this person invested in us. Hey, you know, our best software developer just left the team, so we can't. 
Well, guess what? That might've created an opportunity that looking back on it might absolutely have been the best thing that ever happened. So I think that's a great point to bring up is as a leader in this group, listen for these limiting beliefs or these kind of these self handicapping statements. And we need to get people focused in a different area. If you really want them to bring their best self, they're coming up with what's possible. Yeah. And I, I think what we've seen is that when you take that self limiting language off the table, people get more creative. I mean, it's amazing to see what people come up with. So people feel like you're limiting them. It's like, Oh, what do you mean? I can't talk about it. Well, watch what happens. Um, I think we see this over and over again. Much more creative and amazing. Yeah. So let's think about this. So you said, what could we do? So let's say we've gone through this. Like what is possible, right? Let's look at the resources that we have. Let's look at, you know, maybe things that we don't have that we could bring in and build. What would move us toward that future we want to see? The second question is, what should we do? How do you lead a group through that one? And I know this is just high level stuff, but this is, I want to get people thinking. So there's lots of ways to do this, obviously. You know, we've all been in groups that have used, you know, you vote or you come to consensus, which is really hard in most groups. Uh, You use sticky dot voting. You know, there's lots of ways to do that. We like using what we call the big easy, which means what's the thing out of all of our possibilities? What's the thing that has impact but is doable? Mm. And usually there's, you know, some balance between those two. It's very rare that I think you would find one that's, boy, that's going to have amazing transformative impact and it's really easy because you probably would have already done it. But somewhere in there, there's that one that has both. Because you need to have something that's big enough people want to commit to it, but that is doable enough that people don't get discouraged and kind of check out of the conversation. Ah, and then that's when you accomplish it too, it might be one of the first times as a whole team coming out of a meeting like this, you actually go celebrate a win too. Yeah. Okay, so now we've, uh, and I, do you narrow it in the what should we do because you have the what will next? Are you looking at the one thing or are you actually coming up with like what are the top kind of couple possibilities here? So we usually start with one, but we okay. always say to people, you know, this conversation that we've had, we've documented it well, we're losing nothing. We can always come back to these other things. You know, if we get more people in the group and we want to tackle another one, we can, or if this first one, we actually thought it was, going to be easy and it turns out it's really hard we can go back um so we actually go for one awesome and then when, as i'm guessing as we move into what will we do now we're going to talk about what are all the pieces the components the goals the strategies the action plans that would bring that one thing that we decided on you know and manifest it is that correct um so we uh recommend that people start with just a one starting project. And we say, you know, that could be a pilot, it could be a prototype, it could be uh, some kind of community-wide forum. If it's a community group, it could be lots of things. So pick one starting project that's gonna take you six months or so to get done. That's gonna take the whole group together because part of what is really important at that beginning stage is that you build that trust. And you have to to create that platform where people can say, okay, I'm gonna make this commitment and then I'm gonna do it. So pick something small to start with. It may get a lot bigger later, but to start with, to start with one pilot or you know whatever seems to, to work for the, the outcome that you've chosen. And then for the what will we do, how, walk yeah. us through that part then, Liz. So then what will we do is, you know, you've identified that starting project and every person in the group says, okay, here's what I will do given you know my particular gifts or my particular resources, here's what I can do to move us forward towards that thing in the next 30 days. 
and then the 3030 because in the 3030 years so i have a couple questions here right you're talking yeah. about 30 days from now mm-hmm. we're gonna all get back together yep what has worked to set up successful communication in that team as we now move forward <laughs> between now and when we actually all yeah. formally get together in 30 days so we get this question a lot when we train people and they say, you know, what platform should we use? Should we use Slack? Should we use Basecamp? Should we use you know, Google Docs? You know, And my answer is always you use whatever people will use because mm-hmm. the worst platform is the one that no one uses, even yep. if it's the best platform, right? But we've seen people use just about every tool you could name probably and be successful. Just you know, pick something that people will use. And that has a lot to do with you know, the setting people are working in, their level of comfort with technology even you know if you're doing a community project you might even have people in the in the group who you know their only internet access is if they go to the library well then you have to think differently about about what that communication looks like well yeah let me share some one of my friends patrick mcbain he's one of the coaches that uh, he and i do a lot of work together and he shared something with me that i now do all the time and this exercise also helps build trust, but going into a project, if you sit down with a team and ask them around communication, these four simple questions. The first one is, what does good communication to you look like? And you have people go around the room and actually say, you know, I get 300 emails a day. So if you actually really want a response from me, send me a private message in Slack and use this hashtag or whatever it is, right? You, everybody could be different. Yeah. You might say, you know what, if you really need my attention, text me. Or other people are like, you know, if it's in the two line and I'm not, and I'm in the CC line, I'm not going to read it. Just so you know, it goes into my database. And then we go around and say, hey, what is good communication from you? Now, actually, you're soliciting feedback. Hey, John, when you do this and you write a two-page email, I don't have time to read it. I really need you to take your email and squish it down into some bullet points and then we can follow up or whatever. And then we say as a group, hey, what is good communication look like between us? How would we know? Yeah. And yeah. then the fourth like question that. would be, let's just say that you and I are on a team, but we're doing a lot of work with a vendor, a supplier, a strategic partner, right? Back and forth. Maybe there's different constituencies. What does good communication from us look like? And how would we know? What are we, how are we doing that? And, and all of a sudden, what it does, it not only creates a communication plan, but it's a easy way to kind of get into sharing some feedback with people in a way that's really constructive. And is a really great way to start building some trust. And then you actually talk about it. Let's say Slack is in your environment or using Basecamp or Monday or whatever the tools are. You actually then just have a discussion with everybody. Hey, how do we use this to help us out? But I think it's great to have that on the table. Yeah. We, actually, we just changed the platform that we use. We had a whole team meeting. We had a whole team meeting on just, hey, how do we use it and communicate using the tools that we have? so that we're more productive. And I got to tell you, it was, it was really helpful. Yeah, no, I really like those four questions. Yeah, uh, because it really does vary by person. You know, when we have younger people in a group, they say email, are you kidding me? It's text, yeah. forget yeah. the email thing, you know? It's a real, and for those of us who are not young people, that's like, what? It really comes as a shock, I think. So asking people what their preferences, I think is really useful. Yeah, it's really powerful. Now, so let's say now it's 30 days later, right? We've been communicating well, We've been working on the things that we've committed to that meeting when everybody comes back together in 30 days on the project. uh, Why is it 30 days? Like a lot of people do this weekly, two weeks. I'm just curious about how you came up with 30 and 30. 
it can be whatever you feel like it needs to be. You know, um, 3030 is kind of our default, but you know, one of my colleagues uses it in teaching undergraduates and he does like three threes because that's okay. what they need to stay on track with their term project. We've also worked with groups that, you know, are national in scope and it's really hard to pull people together. So maybe for them it's 60, 60. Yeah. Something that isn't as urgent, you know, it's okay if it takes a couple of years to kind of roll out. So it just depends on what the needs are. And what's kind of the agenda for a typical 30, 30 meeting? So the agenda is not kind of reporting that you did the thing you said you were going to do, because that should be sort of the expectation. The focus should be, what did you learn doing the thing that you Mm -hmm. did? Mm-hmm. that then informs what are we going to do next. So people you know, talk about, well, yes, I got that done. And here's what I learned when I was doing it. And then after everybody's done that, coming back and saying, okay, given what we learned, does that change our direction? If not, then you just keep marching on. But maybe you need to kind of move backwards a little bit. And Liz, that is so huge. I love that, right? You're setting up the expectation. All the stuff that you committed to, you actually did. So we're not actually checking in and holding you accountable. We're actually here as a learning organization that's going to continually improve because we're actually focused on, hey, we tried to get this done with this process. Here's why this was a challenge because mm-hmm. this process is broken or this everything bottlenecks through this one person, right? Is that the way that it needs to be because of some regulation or can we make some changes? But all of a sudden, everybody's bringing their ideas in figuring out what they learned and then working at making the process, the communication, the people around them better. Is that kind of the focus? Yeah. yeah. The focus is on learning and the focus isn't on who did their thing and who didn't do their thing, which is really easy, I think, for us to get into when we have check-in meetings. Well, yeah, that's almost every check-in meeting I've ever been to. That's probably, yeah. honestly, why we only got 20% done because you know what? By the time everybody went around and gave an update on their to-dos, Either they didn't or not. I'm stuck. I'm working on it. It's on hold. And we spent an hour with eight people going around a room. Everybody just wanted to get back to work. (laughs) And we never talked about, hey, what we learned in the process or why, you know, so we'd make excuses or tell people this is what happened. But then it was like, okay, since I'd missed the deadline on this for the last two meetings, I will have it done by the third meeting. But now all of a sudden it's things just dissipate. Does that make sense? I mean, that's yes. what you just described is the opposite of the meetings I've typically had in my organizations on when we're following up on a strategic plan. I think that's true. And I think, you know, sometimes depending on the group, I'll even say to people, we're going to check in, talk about what you learned, and you've got two minutes. I'll tell them this ahead of time. You know, when, when we get together, you're going to have two minutes. So figure out what the most important things are that you have to say. Because with some people, academics, particularly, I would say, they're just not used to talking in two minutes. You know, they're used to having, you know, a 40 minute (laughs) class period to talk, right? So you really have to say, you know, get it across quickly and let's move on. Yeah, we joke, you know, we all have those people in our environment that could talk a wolf off a meat truck. Yeah. Right. And it's setting up some of the, I've learned, like you said, uh, setting up some of the ground rules in advance to set the whole meeting up for success is really helpful. Yeah. And when um, people have a meeting that works like that, they come out and they go, wow, that was amazing. <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's so simple. Yeah. It's so counter to people's experience that, yeah. Well, also, if you create meetings by putting actually some work on the front end is what you're talking about, where yeah. everybody who's participating goes, you know what, that was a good use of my time. Yes. That was valuable. Yes. All of a sudden meetings t- start changing, right? Versus something I have to attend. 
I wonder if I can bring in my iPad and try to get clear out my email box. Well, you know, Bob's talking, right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So four questions. Now, first of all, what is your website? How do people connect to you, your organization, find your book, Liz? Sure. We have two websites. One is for the lab itself. uh, And that's just our work at Purdue. And that's agilestrategylab.org. But if you're interested in strategic doing specifically, because we have some other tools at Purdue as well, but strategic doing specifically, which is much bigger than just at Purdue, it's strategicdoing.net. Okay, strategicdoing.net. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the four questions here. And as we, and there's 10 rules, and uh, we don't have time to go through it. I would just really encourage people to get the book. This is a leadership book that is truly actionable and helpful. You know, we have a lot of authors on. Liz, but this is a book that if you're part of moving an organization forward, accomplishing an important goal, a mission, supporting a cause, I truly believe that this will be really helpful for you. There's 10 rules. Maybe we could wrap up this way because we don't have time to go through them all. Sure. What is like the one rule that just pops to mind right now, like the most important thing that you think people can be doing you know, coming out of listening to this conversation, going back into their organization today? So I'm going to cheat and pick two because one of them is really short. Okay. And this has to do with the very end of the process. Pick your next meeting time before you walk out the door. Hmm. Don't ever say, I'll send out an email. I'll send out a poll and we'll figure out when we're going to get together next. Pick it right then. Even pick it at the beginning of the meeting before you even start. Let's figure out what our next meeting is. It's really easy to do, but it really changes things. <laughs> but to go you know, beyond that, I think the idea of having a framing question that points people towards the future you want mm. is really critical. We're so used to having problems that are questions. We're so used to having topics for conversation that are about problems. You know, why didn't we get that contract? any kind of topic that's just focused on solving a problem. But instead, if people can frame their conversation around a question, an imagine if question that paints a picture of the future you want, mm. that changes the conversation. And it, it is a habit. I mean, a lot of what we talk about is there's nothing revolutionary in what we talk about. It's just habits. But that habit of moving from what we don't have and the problems to what we do have and the future we want can really change the way a group works together. Well, yeah, that framing, <laughs> well, and, and that framing can really create, shift people into, um, you know, possibility thinking, right? Maybe you've lost a couple <laughs> contracts, yeah. right? And it's frustrating. There could be a lot of finger pointing, but if I came in and said, okay, guys, imagine if we never lost another contract again, I know that's an aspirational goal, but what kind of company would we need to be, our reputation, our processes, pricing, every whatever, blah, 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 that we actually, we're known in the industry as, oh, we don't want to go against them because they don't lose. Right. That's just right. one idea. But mm-hmm. think yeah. about what that forces everybody in the room to, now I'm actually looking at the fact that we lost from a, a place of learning mm-hmm. versus a place of comparing ourselves to the, the winner or to uh, pointing fingers at maybe people on the team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Liz, thank you. That is so awesome. People need to connect with Liz, connect with her team. We need to have some processes and tools in our environment that we're using, not that we just read a book and go, that was interesting. Because right now, one thing that I do know 
is that the pace of change is accelerating in this world. And if we don't bring in some tools and processes that help us adapt to this increased and rapid pace of change, I don't care how good your goods, products, or services are, you're going to be left in the dust by an organization that does know how to cope with the increased pace of change in the world today. So be one of those companies um, that's mission-driven, that's out there building the kingdom, right? And that thrives and succeeds right where you're at now because you've put in the work like the stuff that uh, Liz has talked about. So thank you, Liz. I, I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a great conversation.